Well, yes, it takes a little courage, Michael. I know that's not your strongest suit. You're, you're even scared to ask a girl out on a date. Wait, no, why does everybody think that I'm scared of girls? Because you're a chicken. You're oh, a no. chicken. Cuckoo ka-cha! Cuckoo ka-cha! What are you doing? Michael yeah. and women? A Look, I haven't found the right girl. When I do, I will ask her out. Has anyone in this family ever even seen a chicken? Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we've got a special guest star today. Oh, hi, folks. My name is John, and I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. That is accurate. We wanted to bring on someone who had not watched a lot of Once Upon a Time. And I didn't know this when we asked John to come over, but we are doubly lucky. He has also not watched Frozen all the way through. Yes, it's like, I, I understand the concept of it, and there's like, was it? I guess people getting frozen and magic fairy tale princesses, and that's about as far as I know. And maybe there's a there's like a was a snowman named Olaf. That's about as far as I know. So, how much exposure had you had to Once Upon a Time before we just made you watch this episode? I've seen a couple episodes uh, mainly because when I was a uh, this girl I was seeing a little while ago, I uh, was really into it, so I tried watching it with her, and I just since the show was very episodic, I had no idea who characters were. And it was just like, I was just getting lost and it did not work out. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wanted to bring you on because we wanted a Once Upon a Time Virgin with us. When we watched the episode where Anna of Arendelle teaches Prince Charming how to sword fight so that he can defeat the evil warlord Little Bo Peep. <laughs> Honestly, looking at your face where we watched this through just now and you're being like, okay, so this is happening when Little Bo Peep showed up. That was exactly what I wanted. It was perfect. <laughs> You know, whenever, yeah, I'd realize who this is. It's like, oh, okay. We should probably set which episode this is. All right. This is episode two of season four or... Chapter two of book five. Because our numbering system is... Well, it's straightforward now. It's just going to get worse as time goes on. It's so fun. it's like Dewey Decimal level kind of... It's like, okay, this is what we're using. That's what it is. We decided to cut our podcast numbering system by the plot lines instead of by the seasons. And right. it turns out that was a mistake. But we are pot committed now, so it's what we're doing. <laughs> so this is Chapter 5, Book 2, which is Season 4, Episode 2, Whiteout. Which is weird, because it's not a whiteout, it's a blackout. A whiteout is when it's snowing so hard that you can only see snow. A blackout is when the power goes out, which is what happens in this episode. So... I hadn't realized until we were watching this with John on the couch with us, but the previously on on this episode is... Not helpful. Not even a little bit. Look. It establishes that in the flashback plot for this season, Anna has gone to the Enchanted Forest for some reason, and also that in the storybook plot line, Elsa is in the Enchanted Forest, but if you don't know the show, it doesn't actually establish either of those things. Like, it just shows characters in Frozen cosplay. And I feel like that's a good summary of this season in general. Well, here's the thing. Frozen was very, very popular. A lot of people watched Frozen. I, I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people did. Did they? I, I thought that was like a really low-key, quiet thing to sort of left theaters immediately. <laughs> so when 
when the obvious executives made them do a season about Frozen, obviously the hope was that it would bring in non-once-upon-a-time people to watch the episodes, and yet they are completely impenetrable to non-once-upon-a-time people. I mean, they were still recovering from the awful Peter Pan season, right? That was like two seasons ago. Get over it. Uh, Peter Pan was Rumpelstiltskin's uh, father. I think I was one of the episodes I kind of watched. Oh no, no wonder you never came back to Once Upon a Time. Yeah, the Peter Pan season's the worst. It's easily the worst season of Once Upon a Time. Until we get to hell. The hell season's also not very good. It's not good, but I think Peter Pan is worse. Maybe. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. When when I talk to people who started watching the show, they're all like, oh, I gave up somewhere in season two. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you did. Season two's terrible. Huh, you know what? People say the same thing about Lost. Huh. Yeah, they're also right. So, Elsa's in the modern world. She's confused. She's lost. She's in Maine. Yeah, well, there's not a lot to do in Maine. I'll leave it at that. In she the... could climb one of the thousand foot tall cliffs that were in Maine, apparently. I yeah. When we were watching that, I was like, okay, we need to have John on this podcast because I was unaware that there were thousand foot tall cliffs in Maine. You live you lived in Maine, you uh... Yes. I lived in the Canada part of Maine, the northern part where I guess Storybook may have taken place, and this is this is a lot of cliffs. Yes, they... very very high cliffs. Like a matter of horn level cliffs. They shoot in Vancouver, so that's what we're actually looking at. Okay. So pretty much everything else that's been shot in Vancouver. Makes sense. Yeah. So, So, um, yeah, Elsa is in Storybrooke and she's looking for her sister. And she declares that until she finds her, she declares to no one, she declares to herself. Yeah, everyone on the street's just ignoring her, which you'd think that after the whole giant thing in season two, they would maybe not ignore random people wandering around, but whatever. Well, I mean, also you think maybe a woman wandering around in distress, they wouldn't ignore, but they totally do. (laughs) I mean, if there's anything we know about Storybrooke, it's that everyone who lives there is the worst. They are. Anyway, she declares to no one, to the air, that no one is going to leave as long as she hasn't found her sister. So that is what happens. She puts up a wall of ice around the town. So the thing this season that will keep people from leaving Storybrooke is the wall of ice around the town. Last season, the Wicked Witch of the West had flying monkeys patrolling the border to stop people from leaving the town. And the season before that, if you left the town, you lost your memory and forgot who you were. Okay. Uh, that, all right. That's going to happen. It's not going to sound less stupid. <laughs> well, this is a land where you can have all these various magical people coming about. So it's like, okay, the suspension of disbelief level is really low. Okay, I got it. In our first flashback, we see Anna of Arendelle approaching David's hovel, Peasant David. Yeah, so um, we told you that David is Prince Charming from the Snow White story. Right. And Max explained it to you by saying that he married into royalty, but that's not quite accurate. Okay, so his parents had twins, and they sold one of the babies to the king. Because the king couldn't have children. So the king raised that twin as the prince, and then... As after the events of this flashback, that prince was killed fighting a giant. So... But luckily they had a backup. Yeah, so... So, backup, so it's like the Padme, Queen Amaldala, cl- like a clone or... Ba- it's actually kind of a man in the iron mask situation. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Sure. I don't know. Star Wars tracks, you know, one is raised by royalty, the other one's raised on a farm. There you go. Yeah. There is another. I think we made that joke during that episode. Yeah. But she knocks on David's door to reveal the man himself in what has to be one of the worst uh, wigs they ever put David in in the show. We used to do a segment on this show, which was Best Outfit, Worst Hair, because I love the costume design on this show for the most part. 
not really in the Frozen season, but in the other seasons, the costume design in the show is amazing. I think the Frozen season suffered because they hewed too closely to the movie versions. Yeah, that was a little on the nose of Anna's, like, hat thing. It's like, that that really is her hat. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, it's all very party city. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But we stopped doing best outfit, worst hair, because we felt like the worst hair segment was too mean. But honestly, the Frozen season has some terrible hair. David is wearing such a bad wig in this episode, and Elsa's wig the entire season is terrible. Well, we always used to give worse hair to uh, Mary Margaret, because... That is not a flattering hairstyle. No, and she has not. it forever. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I was like, that, that's supposed to be Snow White? Oh, oh okay. She's the fairest one of all. Needs a better hairdresser. Yep, yep. So, Anna's being weirdly secretive about her mission. Her mission, she came to this country because this is the country her parents were going to when they died. Mm-hmm. And... Elsa found her mother's diary where she's like, so I'm super sick of my freak daughter, so I'm going to go to this other country to find something to fix her so she won't be a freak anymore. And Elsa freaked out over that. And Anna's like, oh, I'm sure she didn't actually think that just because she wrote it in her diary. Yeah. I'm going to go to this country and find something that proves that that's not what she thought of you. Okay, also I want to verify. So at this time, Anna and Elsa's parents theoretically maybe in this land no, oh no, no they're dead they, oh they've already died at this point but the but their anna and elsa think they may be on this no uh, no, no no they know they're dead yeah anna's mission makes no goddamn sense okay no just, okay it's, An- no. anna's mission is to trace her dead parents footsteps from the time they came to uh to the enchanted forest to find out what they were up to basically that's what she's doing okay okay so last week we talked about how the actress who's playing Anna. I'm sorry, it's not Anna, it's Anna. Anna, yeah. My Swedish is not very good, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we were doing it too. But the actress who plays Anna um, is really weirdly trying to do an impression of the way Kristen Bell played Anna in the movie Frozen. And it the first in the first episode of the season, it was really annoying. And in this scene, it's really irritating, but I feel like she kind of cooled it after this. Oh, I thought I just got numb to it. I, no, I think it, I think it actually did kind of... She turned it down a little bit, I think. So I think it's okay. Anyway, we find out that Kristoff apparently knew David, but that part isn't really explained. Do you think Kristoff uh, is the first man that David followed into the woods? David has a habit of following men into the woods in this show. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's the... anything wrong with that, but... It does set up a very, very like questionable thing. It's like, why? Well, I mean, because. he definitely dodges his responsibility and follows men into the woods and that is not okay well it's mostly he abandons his wife to follow bearded men with eyeliner into the woods whenever things get hard and i don't mean hard like in a relationship sense i mean like you know when monsters are attacking difficult yeah oh yeah Yeah. i just mean that kind of hard i don't know wait until we get into the king arthur stuff because that subtext is very much text text okay so i mean i know that this is a disney show on abc but with the amount of gay baiting they do in the King Arthur season, I'm genuinely angry that it doesn't end up becoming canonical. It's it's too much. It's hinted at too strongly. Anyway, yeah, David used to know Kristoff, and he figures out that Anna must be Kristoff's fiance because she's wearing an engagement ring, which, like, one... I mean, I know we've already talked a lot about how engagement rings wouldn't have been a thing in fake medieval time, but whatever, we'll get past that. Um, but also... You're wearing an engagement ring, therefore you must belong to the man that you just mentioned you know. Yeah, it's... And if you're gonna go incognito, 
it's like maybe remove the ring maybe not wear the same costume that everybody knows that you wear you know come on i've seen i've seen the fugitive dr richard kimball he cut his hair but hair dye he knew that to look different it's not that hard yeah and so. he had the janitor chasing him Ada is terrible at hiding well she says that her uh, name is joan because the writers of this show have seen buffy i know i definitely was thinking of the tabla rosa episode of buffy where when buffy has to choose a name for herself she chooses joan Okay. Which, of course, harkens back to Joan of Arc. Mm. Well, on Buffy it does. Yeah, okay. So, this scene of Anna being terrible at subterfuge is interrupted by... Uh, the reason that we have John here today. Yeah, it's like... This is... So it looks like Bo Peep? That's that's who that was? And all I could think of was like, oh, uh, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, the warlord little Bo Peep comes riding into his farm... Because yes. he is one of her sheeple. Okay. All right. Deep breath. <laughs> and it cuts from it cuts from little Bo Peep pulling up to David's farm to Baby Neil's uh, mobile. Mobile, which has sheep on it. Which why would David do that? But well, David was a shepherd. Remember? Yeah. I guess it's not any different than Snow having the uh, unicorn mobile after she had that dream about evil unicorn. That... So she's an android then. <laughs> yes, yes. She has the unicorn mobile so that she remembers that she is a human. <laughs> okay, that's like, okay. Well, it's to remind her of the time she threw a baby into a death pit. That did happen. Okay, okay. It's like, okay, that's like, I don't remember. And again, that's up from an episode I've never seen, so. It was, it's in the future, so. Oh, okay. But we can't help but bring it up every time Mary Margaret gets on her high horse in this show. We're like, you threw a baby into a death pit. It's like. It's not exactly, but your application for St. Foot is now under review. Exactly. <laughs> so Mary Margaret is being passive-aggressive to her baby in the current timeline because Mary Margaret is awful. But Henry has a bit where he's like, oh, what do you think babies dream about? And they make non-joke jokes and Mary Margaret reacts with horror because she hates whenever anyone tries to have fun. Right. Yes. But Henry, okay, Henry, a good kid this season is putting together a care package for Regina because he knows she's going to be sad because of the heartbreak that she's gone through now that she and Robin Hood have broken up. So he puts together a little care package with, like, romantic movies and chocolate ice cream and red wine. Yeah. For a second there, when I first saw that, I was like, that looks like a Derek Jeter gift basket or something. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what's going on? Then you, you mentioned that's for his mom. It's like, okay, this is getting even weirder. It's, you know, it's a breakup care package, which is just the sweetest thing for him to do, I think. Yeah. yeah. Henry's, a, Henry's a good kid. Henry's a good kid now that he's been brainwashed by the curse he went through. Although I will point out that at the end of the episode, when he goes to visit Regina, he doesn't bring the gift basket with him. Maybe he sent it earlier. Maybe Mary Margaret drank everything in it. Oh, maybe. <laughs> drank and ate the chocolate. <laughs> Mary Margaret's like, I assume it's for me the way I assume everything is it's for me. Me. Yeah. <laughs> me, me, me. Yeah, remember when she threw, threw out those flowers that Emma got because she assumed they were for her? That, that happened. When Emma first comes to Storybrooke, they don't know that Emma is Snow White's daughter, so she they're just roommates for a while. And someone sends Emma flowers to court her. And, and Mary Margaret just assumes that it's from... A one-night stand she had with Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> so she throws them out. So Dr. Frankenstein is also in this show. Yeah. Yes. So Regina sends a crow over. I'm assuming this is the crow that signals that she's going to her vault because they play a generic crow sound every time she goes to her vault. I'm assuming this is that crow. Oh, okay, so it's not from like the 
from the high maesters or whatnot. I do like that previous episodes have established that Snow White can talk to birds and they have Regina communicating with crows. I like that. Yeah, that's actually kind of neat. There's a little bit of internal consistency in this world of uh, the suspension of disbelief. It's like, okay, this is happening. Yeah, yeah that's the thing about suspension of disbelief. If the world has consistent internal rules, then it's a lot easier to suspend disbelief. Right. Unfortunately, this doesn't often. But the bird brings a message that says, Hey, everyone needs to leave me alone because you guys never give me time to chill. I need some time. Just back off. Which makes Henry very sad because, you know... Henry wants to go comfort Regina, and she doesn't want him. I mean, that's how he interprets it. I know that's not how it is. Yeah, but Henry's being a good kid here, and he feels bad that he can't be there for his mom. And also, he's kind of afraid that she's going to start murdering people again, but... Mm. Yeah, it happened before. Emma goes to give Henry a pep talk about, hey, Regina's probably not going to start murdering people again. And then the power goes out. Yep, yeah, it's a town-wide blackout, not a whiteout, as the <laughs> title would imply. But a blackout, because, you know, the ice went over the transformer, so that's what happens, right? That's how electricity works? Yeah, talk about the power lines. Yeah, sure. Why not? So Emma's like, hey, this doesn't seem super dangerous. You could come help me and David investigate, because it's the police's job to fix it when the power's out. Okay, there's a citywide blackout. I think there might actually be a lot of stuff for the sheriff to be doing right now. Hmm. Well, I I can almost understand. It's like, maybe we should check out what caused the blackout. Yeah, no, this That's is... That's understandable. Yeah, Emma should definitely be investigating this. I'm, I'm with yeah. that. But one of the names she has for the suggested mission, Nightshade, I think. Uh-huh. Like is the it, poison? Like the poison that was like a huge plot point, of co- like last season? No, you're, season? you're thinking of... Dreamshade? That was called Dreamshade. Nightshade is a real poison. Uh, yes. The, part of the tomato fam. It is. So... That's why tomatoes were known as the poison apple. Huh. That's interesting. Wait, no, I think this show probably knows that. I think that probably is part of why she said that. Huh. Because there are a lot of really, like, clever... Subtle things. In the first episode, Mary Margaret's an elementary school teacher. In the first episode, one of her students gives her a pear, because what, kind of a- uh, what kind of monster would give Snow White an apple? Right. There but, you go. But there are also... There, there are other clever, subtle things in the background of this show. As, as broad as the rest of the show is. Mm. But Henry doing the, like, operation thing, like Operation Nightshade or whatever, that's that's kind of Henry's thing. Whenever there's a new story arc, it's Operation whatever. Even though he's a little too old to be doing this now, he still is. Well, he kind of acknowledges that. He's like, yeah, whatever, look, I'm not going to deal with this. Okay, yeah, but in a few episodes, he's going to be perfectly fine setting up Operation Mongoose, which is actually really cute because... The original mission was Operation Cobra when he was helping Emma defeat yeah. Regina, and now he's going to be helping Regina, so it's Operation Mongoose. Oh my god. Okay. Well, yeah. It's cute. But Emma, dis- Emma's like, okay, yeah, fine. And she, she leaves Henry alone in the diner, which doesn't seem like a great idea considering that he was, you know, Henry boy hostage last season. But He's fine. Look at him. He's like 20 now. The, the other thing about the show is that the storylines move slower than actual time, so having child actors is a problem. Yeah, you have the actors age out. Yeah, so he, th- this kid keeps aging up, but he should be like 12 in story time, but he's like 14 in reality. Okay. Yeah, and when the show ends, he's supposed to be 13, but he's very clearly in his 40s. Yeah, when he's got his full beard, and he's like, you know, six foot seven. Yeah, like no. Sorry, he for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it's just like, uh, you know. Yeah, he's literally like the tallest member of the cast by then, and his voice is super deep. <laughs> he's like, I'm studying for my learner's permit, Mom. His <laughs> biology test really stinks. 
I hate it. There, there's a bit where he's like, I'm 13, I notice ice cream trucks. <laughs> Actually, there's a bit later where he tries to rent a car, and he looks like he could rent a car. The woman's like, how old are you? But Emma's all bummed because Henry wouldn't, you know, hug her and blah, blah, blah. And, and David's like, "You're, hey, you're a shitty kid too, so that works out. Now you're getting a taste of it. Apple does not fall far from the tree right there. There you go. Emma's like, excuse me, she was in her 20s and she was raised in an orphanarium by the time you met her. It's, uh, like... Well, it's not just that she doesn't hug David. Remember, she also isn't hugging Hook right now. So this immediately becomes amazing because an angry mob has come to destroy Snow White. I had totally forgot that this plotline happened in this episode, which is crazy because this is the episode called Whiteout. Yeah, and in all fairness, the episode seems to forget about it a lot. It shows up very, very sporadically. But anyway, Happy, Grumpy, and Granny have all shown up to yell at Mary Margaret because the power's out. Because since this is her curse, that means now she's the mayor. Because that's how that works. Originally, Regina, the evil queen, cast the curse that brought them over. Yeah. And when that happened, she created the town that they live in and she made herself mayor. Um... Then they got back home, and then because of events, they had to get back. So Mary Margaret cast the curse again, which is how they all got back again. So I guess that means now she's in charge. Okay, so there was no, like, a public official electing thing. Oh. They had to work. There's, like, any issues about gerrymandering. Maybe it's, like, robocalls and stuff that, like, get her this official elected position. What's going on here? It basically oh, no. works by Pottery Barn rules. You curse it, you bought it. Oh, okay. The thing is, the thing is, Emma got, the only election we've ever seen in Storybrooke is in the first season when Emma got elected sheriff. Okay. After her vagina of doom claimed the first sheriff. She has a Captain Kirk thing where every guy she sleeps with dies. Oh, okay. Actually, it's really cool. Um, in this show, gender tropes tend to be flipped. So guys get fridged to give Emma feels all the time. Oh, nice. Okay, now when you mentioned the vagina doom, so I was like... I was thinking for a second, like, uh, the Queen of Shiva from, like, American Gods. Like, is her vagina actually physically <laughs> eating somebody? I remember, we just showed him an episode where little Bo Peep uses her crook to control people. So, that totally could happen. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's the realm of possibility. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay. Now, little Red Riding Hood's the one who eats her boyfriends in this show. She does. She's a man-eater. This is yeah. a Hall Oates song. Great. Yeah. So, they're all like, hey, this is your kingdom now. You're the ruler, you're the mayor, you have to fix this power outage. Which sort of brings up a fact, like, Regina did literally run everything in the town the first season. So wait, so like, even though she was, Regina was not like the greatest ruler, she did make sure the trains ran on time, right? The trains ran so smoothly. Okay. But to be fair, time was also stopped, so it was the same day, Groundhog Day style, over and over again, so. Okay, that makes making the trains run really, like. Really easy. Regina was playing um, Sim Town on easy mode. Okay, there you go. And she had the money cheat, so. <laughs> so David and Emma discover the ice wall that has encircled the town, and Hook shows up to confirm that, yes, the ice wall goes all around the town, and now they're trapped again. This is okay, not new. So this raises the question, how big is Storybrooke? Because he was able to run all the way around the town in the time since the wall went up and confirm that it goes all the way around the town. Also brings up the question, what is Hook doing out there? He said Emma called him. Okay. So they, like, they wanted to make sure, like, they meet at the same spot. Yes. Okay, okay. that actually makes sense. Since you've never seen Once Upon a Time before, or have only seen a couple of episodes, let's just stop for a second and talk about this very handsome man. I just... This is a liberal interpretation of Captain Hook. 
Because oh. of Once Upon a Time, I now think of Captain Hook as being super sexy. And it's going to mess up a lot of things when I, like, watch other Peter Pan media. Have you seen a pan, have you seen, uh, pan the, with Hugh Jackson being, Hugh Jackman being, uh, being Captain Hook? I haven't. Is he sexy? Well, it's Hugh Jackman, so take that as you will. Okay, okay. But, you, but is he sexy because he's Hugh Jackman and you can't make him not be sexy? Or are they playing him as sexy? The former. Okay, okay. So Hook's thing, Hook says, okay, so she's whoever set up this wall has obviously trapped us here so they can kill us one by one. That's what I do. And it's like, really, Hook? Really? That's what you do? That's so not what Hook would do. Hook has done evil things, it's true, because he cares about his own motivations more than anything. Uh, he's, he's driven, but he's not actively evil the way Regina is at her evilness or the way... Zelina was when she was being the Wicked Witch of the West. Like He's more just kind of selfish. Yeah, he thinks of himself first, and anybody else that gets in the way, it's like, well, you know, hey, so you got run over by this car. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So he's like, hey, Emma, we should talk about our relationship. You want to talk about our relationship? And she's like, mm, I'm going to go look at this ice wall. Yeah, she... She's like, yeah, now I realize why Henry doesn't want to hug people. I'm going to go literally walk into a wall of ice rather than talk about my relationship right now. To be fair, priority-wise, there is the ice wall right there. It's true, although as Hook points out, there's always some emergency. Yeah, that's true. They just finished fighting the Wicked Witch of the West. And before that, Peter Pan. And before that, the Queen of Hearts. Who is also the Miller's daughter from the Rumpelstiltskin story. So what you're saying is that uh, Emma and... Hook should have like put in their day planner. Let's have a let's have a luncheon like you know, two weeks from now. We can hash it out, and hopefully it doesn't get pushed around. Got it. Yes. Okay. Um. So then, oh god! But then David tries to do the whole like, "What are your intentions with my daughter?" speech, and Hook is like, "I'm a pirate from the past, and even I think that that's gross and sexist." Yes. Okay. Also, Not all pirates are after that booty. <laughs> Come on. Oh. Also, what like. We're like three seasons deep into his relationship with Emma at this point. You're doing this now? There hasn't been time till now. Oh, God. Never time for anything. <laughs> also, I mean, he, he rightly points out, my intentions with your daughter are, I don't know, whatever she decides because she won't have this conversation with me. There you go. Like, I want to define the relationship. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Emma is avoiding the define the relationship talk. So Emma wanders into the ice wall and sees Elsa and she's like you seem less actively malicious than you know the last few magical women I've had to deal with and Elsa's like where the fuck's my sister which is weird like she's not from this world but she is from like a world right she she's met people before she's had conversations you know what I said that out loud she hasn't really oh right so the plot of Frozen John (laughs) is that Elsa has these powers she can't control so her parents convince her to, like, lock herself away from all of humanity until she can get them under control, which is, like, never because it's a metaphor for anxiety and locking yourself in your room doesn't make it better. Or also sometimes a metaphor for being queer. And again, locking yourself away from humanity doesn't change that. And then when she ha- when her parents die and she has to become queen, she, like, totally loses her shit and freezes everything and runs off to live in an ice palace. Again, yeah, you're right. She's not very socialized, so I guess this is sort of... <laughs> yeah, being locked in a room is not going to help build your social skills. Yeah, in fact... I think? Yes. yes I, I assume. In fact, tragically, this episode has very little uh, Regina in it, and the reason 
And the reason for that is that in this season, Regina is kind of doing the Elsa plot where she's run off and locked herself in her in her mansion alone. So back in the Enchanted Forest, Little Bo Peep is threatening David and his mother unless they pay her her protection money, she's going to make them her magical slaves. Yep, yep. She shows up in like a really frilly Little Bo Peep outfit speaking in a terrible Cockney accent. Very brightly colored, too. That's the thing that's like, like, yeah, that's it, a lot of colors there. It doesn't really mesh with the rest of the world. I really, I do like her tiny tricorder hat. <laughs> her tiny plaid pink tricorder hat. With a kitty feather in it. Choices were made. I feel like the costuming department was pissed about having to just do the Frozen stuff, so they were lashing out with stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, to quote Tim Gunn, that outfit is a lot of look. Yeah, this scene is all a woman in a pink frilly dress with a magical... Shepherd's crook. With a magical shepherd's crook. Trying to extort money from David and his mother. I guess they didn't get that much money from selling David's twin brother. Well, I mean, they're out now. Money only lasts for a while. Mm. They were getting, they were running off that sweet baby money for the past, however old David's supposed to be here. Well, it's funny because David's supposed to be young here because this is before he fought the dragon. So the terrible long hair, I just realized, is the David equivalent of when they put Lana Perea in those pigtails trying to make her look younger. Or when they give Emma her hipster glasses that disguise the fact that she's an actress in her early 30s playing a 17-year-old. Yeah, in the flashback to when Emma was 17, they have the same actress playing her, which is fine, but it's, she's not 17. Yeah. And <laughs> you saw the Eva Queen at the very end in the flashbacks where she's supposed to be 16, they also have the same actress playing her. Okay, so I have some major issues with this episode, and they are all based around Anna being the worst kind of optimist. <laughs> What is the worst kind of optimist, Max? Well, she's like, hey, she's one lady with magical powers and two dudes. Like, you should just fight her. Wait, I'm sorry. I have to stop you for a second. Because you pointed out she's one magical lady with two dudes. David keeps insisting she has an army. She has an army. She only has two dudes. Two dudes are not an army. They're barely a gang. A posse at best. But she's like, yeah. You have to fight her. You ha- you can't just be her slaves. And David's like, you don't really know the situation that well. You're kind of just coming in and assuming that there's stuff I can do. And she's like, she's coming back tomorrow. I can teach you how to sword fight by then. You can you can win. All you have to do is fight. She's being infuriatingly optimistic, which makes me really... I mean, I would have wished this anyway, but I really wish this episode had ended with David going to fight and immediately just getting stabbed to death by those guys. Okay, then none of this show would have happened, because... It takes place in the past. (laughs) This all takes place in the past. Maybe they had a third brother. That would have been an amazing (laughs) twist if it turned out they were triplets and this was actually what was happening with the triplet. Oh my god. So, yeah. Anna tells him that he needs to learn how to fight. He can't be a coward. And Anna's gonna teach him. How do you teach him? Theoretically, a montage. Yeah. It's like they don't have time for a montage because they have two other plots going on. So, yeah, Anna's infuriatingly optimistic that David can totally handle this situation. This dude she just met who has no fighting experience whatsoever. Okay. I mean, suspension of disbelief, right? That's what we were talking about. But a lot of sword fighting is muscle memory. He doesn't have the time to set up the muscle memory. 
whatever. So anyway, back in the modern story, Emma's trying to calm Elsa down and it does not work. And instead- well, it doesn't work because David comes running in pointing a gun at Elsa. Yeah. Which is crazy because, in John, you have no reason to know this, just one episode previous- they were fighting the snow monster, and they realized that the snow monster wasn't violent, and if they just stopped being aggressive at it, it would stop. So, you know, stop pulling your sword on girls you've just met, David. But Elsa freaks out, and she causes an isolanche, and traps her and Emma inside an icy tomb. Yeah, and also we see that she drops the snowflake necklace that belonged to Anna into a ice crevasse. Yes. So... Hook demands that David use his device, or as we would call it, walkie-talkie, to contact Emma. So the thing is, John, everyone, almost everyone was cursed and has memories of being a normal human in Storybrooke before they got their fairy tale memories back. So now they have both sets of memories so they can function in the modern world. But Hook came over from the Enchanted Forest. He wasn't cursed to come over. Ah, So he has no modern day memories. So... To him, it's just a magic box that talks to people. Okay. Which, to be fair, I don't understand how walkie-talkies work. That's what it is to me, too. But Hook, to his dubious credit, decides the best thing to do is scratch on the ice wall with his hook. Well, you know, you got to use whatever tools you have available. Well, David's like, let's try lifting. What? 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 Well, yeah, that's I... the tools, as I said, the tools he has available. My lifting muscles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All David has are his lifting muscles. But David does finally realize that it's only going to come down with magic, so they need to go find someone with magic. And then we cut back to the flashback where he's using a sword, which he will use to fight someone magical. So I think maybe this show is giving us mixed messages. Okay, so not to put this all on Anna, but Anna is directly responsible for all of the worst things about David, right? You mean the fact that he's all, like, grossly optimistic about things he shouldn't be optimistic about, and... Also thinks he can use a sword to do everything. Yeah, because it's a running thing in this show where he has this thing where he doesn't accept that other people have legitimate problems because everything always works out for him. Oh, okay. But that's because he's the protagonist of the narrative, something which is literally stated in text in this show. But he doesn't get that that doesn't apply to other people, which is one of the more infuriating things about him. It's actually why next season is going to be awesome, because the plot of next season is Regina trying to change the narrative so she's a hero instead of a villain so she can get a happy ending. All right. So... uh, As terrible as this episode we showed you is, this show is also capable of great heights of like drama and uh, interesting symbolic storytelling it's just we should do the one where little bo peep is a warlord because you know because we love you oh thanks <laughs> it's really good when they address the meta narrative these are people who are aware that they are living through stories and that's interesting but they don't focus on that that much they mostly focus on the little bo peep warlord stuff yeah because why not because i mean to be fair that stuff is flashy and looks good on a tv honestly one of the things one of the things that keeps us coming back to this show over and over again is the much better show that is like peeking out from behind it all the time so it's like oh this could be so much better and yet it keeps doing this yeah during season two one of our running segments was what this show should be instead it was like this little thing that if they'd focused on that it would be so much better so y'all ready for David's tragic backstory? You thought you already knew it. You thought he was raised a poor shepherd who became a who became a prince, but no, he's got another tragic backstory too. Everything's tragic. 
Well, we should establish they're having a training montage where Anna's just kicking David's ass with a sword. And he's like, nope, I give up. I'm just going to be little Bo Peep slave. And she's like, well, you can never win if you uh, give up. Why would you give up? And he's like, because my dad died in a drunk carting accident. Drunk carting accident. CWI, carting while intoxicated. That's a terrible way to go. Which I thought one of the things about having a horse as your major transport is that they don't get into crashes. But we will see later. This is this is one of my favorite things that this show ever does. Later we will find out that David's father was actually awkward. Yeah, this gets brought up, and then in universe they drop the plot because it's boring and nobody cares about David. I just suddenly had this moment when I realized instead of dying in a car accident was murdered, that is straight from Captain America. Civil War, when Tony Stark discovers that Bucky's the one that killed Tony Stark's pair. Oh my god, why? That is literally exactly what happens. Except instead of it starting this huge thing, everyone just ignores it and moves on with their life. Because it is kind of stupid, (laughs) let's be fair. It's like, really? But it's this huge sob story about, I'm sorry, David, but nobody cares about you and nobody cares about your dad. Although, I I do appreciate that Anna was trying to tell him that he can do anything. And in telling a story about his drunk father, what he's essentially acknowledging is step one of AA, which is to admit that you don't have control. Yeah. I think my favorite part is that he said it's going to take two weeks. And if I learned anything from Sandra Bullock's movie, it takes 28 days. So it's like, this is not going to end the way you think. Oh, you're right. His dad should have waited twice as long, and then he wouldn't have gotten drunk and carted into a yeah, ravine or whatever. Yeah, it's like he he only got halfway through. And it's like that, that's a tragic tragedy right there. Okay, was that supposed to be the horse that? Yeah. So David has a horse that Bo Peep tries to steal from him that he won't give up, and we find out at the end of the episode that it was his father's horse. So. He, his father was so drunk that he drove the cart away from the horse off the ravine and the horse came home. I think that's what happened. And Anna's like, so what? You had a crappy, weak father who, you know, died because he was weak and couldn't not be a drunk. It actually kind of reminds me of Adam Scott's line in The Good Place when Eleanor is talking about how she, she is the way she is because her because her parents had a messy divorce and then good Eleanor tells the story about how she was an orphan and then her adopted parents died and then she like grow up in a war zone and Adam Scott's like and what happened to you again? The same thing that happens to half of all of kids in America? But Anna's like just because your father was a total loser deadbeat who sucked so hard he died doesn't mean you have to be unless you are and then she just wanders off. Terrible at being inspirational. She's not wrong though. Meanwhile, back in the storybook plotline, I swear to God, Elsa's wig is about to fall off, and it makes me crazy watching it. I can't not see it now, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Also, uh, Emma's becoming an ice zombie. Yeah. It's a little bit here, but it becomes more pronounced later. So, Elsa's trying to sound in charge. She's all, bring me my sister, and I'll consider freeing you. I'm in charge of this situation. I'm not freaking out. Shut up, you're crying. He's like, look at me. I'm the captain now. Oh, except Emma sees right through it because after all, she is dating Hook. And if she knows anything, it's when someone who is not a villain tries to pretend to be the big bad. She's like, hey, I can talk to my dad if you melt that wall. And she's like, no. So Emma decides to use the uh, the walkie-talkie to tell David. <laughs> the device! It's making that noise again! <laughs> she, she tells David and Hook to find Anna. 
Elsa's sister, and then she won't freeze to death. Yeah. Because she found a necklace of Anna's in Gold Shop, blah, blah, blah. Gold Shop, which Elsa calls the place with the things? Oh, okay. But... Like the thingamabobs? Yeah. Although, to be fair... It is the place with the things. Emma does know what she means. As this was a big thing, especially in season one, that all sorts of magical items ended up in Gold's shop when the curse happened. So all sorts of plot points started out there. It was like an RPG, like, gathering point. Yeah, yeah pretty much. It was like, at the moment, it sounded borderline like the, the shop at Needful Things. Yes. yes. Okay. Or, or also maybe like the basement in um, Cabin, Cabin in, in the, the Woods. Woods. Yeah. Okay. And oh, yeah, fair enough. And after Disney acquired Marvel, Mjolnir appears in it. But of course. Also, um, not in Gold's shop, but later in Rumpelstiltskin's Manor, we see the Slayer's Scythe, which I don't think is because Disney owns Buffy, but rather because they physically found the prop and just stuck it in there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, why not? It's like, what's in the back lot? Oh, let's put this in there. And next thing you know, yeah. you got the Sword of Omens and like, whatever. Exactly. They're like, that looks, looks weird magic-y. and magical. Yeah. So, back in present day Storybrooke, Grumpy, Happy, and Granny are all hounding Mary Margaret about getting the power back on. But and they're also talking about who else could bring the power back on, which is fair, because we haven't seen an electrician in... Yeah, the electrical engineer that actually runs the power plant in, the, in this town. Yeah, so they suggest Geppetto, and they're like, well, he does artisanal wooden carving, so it's not the same thing. And then they suggest, they suggest Dr. Whale, who is Dr. Frankenstein. That would actually make sense. Electricity is his deal. He's a scientist. Like Batman. Batman's a scientist. He'll figure it out. But uh, Grumpy does have a Star Trek-esque line where he says he's a doctor, not an electrician. Oh my god. Yeah. Also, Dr. Whale is A, a drunk, and B, the only doctor in town. Maybe you shouldn't be calling him away for this sort of thing, but... Eh. They're desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and the power is still out. So, and Tappy really loves modern technology, apparently. Yeah, he does. And Mary Margaret flips the fuck out at them, proving once again that Regina did her a favor by taking her kingdom because she would be a terrible leader. Like, she is having the most minor amount of pressure put on her, and she freaks the hell out. She screams at them that she understands why Regina was evil now. It was dealing with them and their bullshit. Which is funny, because Regina actually turned evil because of Snow, and Snow's bullshit, but... She does make the very strong point that they all went their entire lives without electricity. They can get by for one night while she figures out what to do. So Emma's much further along in her journey to becoming an ice zombie. Yes. Because hypothermia is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she asks Elsa why she's not cold. And Elsa says the cold never bothered her anyway. Oh, God. Yeah, okay, this is... Get ready for this all fucking season. That's one of the lines from her song in yes. Frozen. Okay, I, I don't know how much of Frozen, like, you've gathered by osmosis. Yeah, it's it's the, the cultural the cultural thing has, has brought into my system. But so I know I am aware of the song and that line. And then I heard that and I was like, okay, this is... This, this is what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, this is what we're doing. Yeah, she's like, we saw that thing you made. We called it a snow monster. You didn't... That's what it was. It was a snow monster. By the way, I looked it up. Its name is Marshmallow. Marshmallow. So, I don't know if I'm overthinking this, but as you know, Kristen Bell is Anna in the cartoon Frozen, and marshmallows are what fans of Veronica Mars are called. So, I wonder if it was a I wonder if it was like a little a little in joke for fans of Veronica Mars. Snow is white, and so are marshmallows. I think that was more the pro- thought process there. I think you're giving them a lot more credit than they deserve. They made Frozen. 
They were clearly thinking about things for like two years. But other things, which you can tell because that movie has some definite rewriting issues. As we discussed at length last week. The last episode we recorded, we talk about it for like an hour. Like half of our episode last week is just what's wrong with Frozen. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So... Elsa admits that she doesn't super have good control over her powers. and She's re- like a baby mutant. Yeah. The reason she needs Anna is because, I'm sorry, Anna, is because Anna helps her control them. Emma says that she also has magical powers she can't control, and Elsa's like, oh, can you get us out of here? And she's like, no, I can't control them. Also, Emma's magic is super inconsistent and almost never useful. Yeah. Hey, Emma, did you forget that you can teleport? Apparently. I mean, I get she's freezing to death now, but... Like, she can't do any magic because she's freezing. But you know who can teleport? Nightcrawler? Yes. Yes. But also, at least two people who live in this town can teleport. They could have had them teleport and get them out, and this whole plot could have been avoided. One of them is Rumpelstiltskin, who they are about to go talk to. And one of them is Regina, who has special... Well, she's being sad, so they can't bother her with this. She's being sad, but if anything was going to get her out of her sad funk, it's knowing that Emma is dying. She would definitely have bamfed in there to save Emma's life. There's there's some subtext between the two of them. They're okay. gal pals. The weird their weird running narrative with the two of them is because they're both Henry's moms, they sort of have this divorced ex lesbian co parent relationship. Uh, okay. I mean, obviously they were never in a relationship, but they have the same relationship as divorced parents because they're both trying to co parent and they're not and they don't always see eye to eye because one of them is Snow White's daughter and one of them is the evil queen. Right. Okay. And they start, they're like, okay, we have to start getting along for Henry's sake. And I'm like, okay, if this was a different kind of show, we we know where this would lead, but... Right. Okay. Sadly, it's not that show. No matter how much I want it to be. Yeah. No, they're, they're the couple I ship is Emma and Regina. They're awesome together. So, speaking of people who know how to teleport... David and Hook go to yell at Rumple until he helps them. And Rumple is with Belle. So wait, why Belle? Belle is married to Rumpelstiltskin. But isn't Belle married to the Beast? Rumpelstiltskin is the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. So oh, okay. So in addition to being Rumpelstiltskin and the crocodile and the crocodile, the deal with Rumpelstiltskin, and this is actually not fairy tale, but the show's own mythology. Okay. Rumpelstiltskin is kind of the most powerful magic user. He's the source of dark magic in the show. That's why he's the dark one. So whenever there is a fairy tale with an evil magical creature, it's generally going to be, to turn out to have been the dark one, Rumpelstiltskin. So he has evil dark powers, and during the Ogre Wars, Belle, who was a princess, not an inventor's daughter, was taken as his slave so that he would stop the Ogre Wars and and save her kingdom. So... And then the Beauty and the Beast story happened, and then she fell in love with him, and now they're married. Okay, so it's a wonderful case of Stockholm Syndrome right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, as has been pointed out to me, and as Max already knew, and as we have discussed in private at length, the actual Beauty and the Beast story isn't really Stockholm Syndrome. Right. The actual Disney one. Right, right. But, but it, this one But is this the, definitely well, yeah. is. Right, oh, right. Yeah. I get, yeah, this one is definitely like... Yeah. Especially because Rumpelstiltskin killed his first wife. That's the reason he has enmity with Hook, because Hook, his first wife left him for Hook. And then he killed her. And it's like... And cut off Hook's hand. And, yeah, but... So but, he couldn't even, you know, self-love. Okay, but that's... Get it pulled the stranger. Come on, man. But don't be with someone who murdered their first wife. That is... That's true, too. That's, oh, no, The person may not be of the of the most sound judgment. 
with me. No, sweetie, he's not. He's not. Anyway, they, like, hand wave that he can't fix anything because if he destroyed the ice wall, he would also kill Emma, which is ridiculous. Are you telling me that his magic can't, like, fine-tune? Also, but it's a hammer, not a scalpel. That's but it, it is a scalpel. Right? But it is a scalpel. Also, you can teleport. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> and the thing is, like, obviously Rumpelstiltskin is evil and would have no reason to do this, but as the Dark One, his big weakness is that he has a knife that controls him. Whoever holds the knife can control him. Okay. And as a show of trust, he gave the knife to Belle. So, you know, she could just order him to teleport them to safety. Maybe Belle doesn't like her, like uh, Emma or the other people. Maybe Emma, maybe Belle's a big bitch. <laughs> okay, so we don't get enough of Belle for this to be, like, shown. But I do genuinely believe that there's a story going on in the background where Belle is a lot darker than we realize. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Especially, there's a... She's probably pissed because she was best friends with Little Red Riding Hood, and then she just disappeared off the show. There's a there's a part earlier in a previous season where Belle loses her Enchanted Forest memories, and she only has her real-world memories. Okay, okay. And when that happens, she's this, like... Drunken sadist named Lacey. And she falls in love with Rumpelstiltskin because he's evil. Like, she get, she has him beat the shit out of dudes for her. And she gets really turned on by it. And then later, when she's Belle, we're meant to believe that the reason she loves Rumpelstiltskin is because she sees the good inside of him past the evil. But there are no other characters where the difference between their storybook self and their enchanted forest self created a personality change. They were all the same person. So what Belle was when she was Lacey is still in there. But we don't really explore that. Again, things that would be interesting to explore, but we don't. So, back in the Enchanted Forest, long-haired peasant David is looking for Joan. He comes in looking for Joan to let her run away before she becomes one of Bo Peep's sheeple. But, up, uh, Bo Peep's in his barn. Oh, she has Anna's... Necklace. Her snowflake necklace. I'm sorry. I'm having so much trouble with this because it's just so stupid. Yeah, she tells us that she's already branded Bo Peep, which means... Guys, this might be relevant later... The crook can always find her. Uh, oh my god, is this where David gets his arc words? Oh my god, I think it is. David's arc words are, I will always find you. Um, side note, as we will find out later in the episode, the barn that they're standing in is where Anna is tied up, right? David is awful at finding people. So you well, want to play hide and seek with him then, because he's never going to win. Yes, which is weird because his arc words are, I will always find you. And uh, speaking of arc words, I need to bring something else up. The deal with Bo Peep's crook is that once she has branded you as one of her sheep, she can always find you. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but my understanding of Bo Peep is that her defining feature is that she has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. See, well, maybe that's why she got the enchanted crook, and then she's like, well, as long as I have this, I might as well become a warlord. Well, that's what I would do. It's like, I have a magical thing. Now I'm going to rule people. Sure, why not? It's better than uh, David's mom's magical items. She has a magical necklace that will tell you whether or not you're going to have a boy or a girl, which has to be, like, the least useful piece of magical jewelry ever, but... Okay, but she also has a really useful magical ring that brings you to your soulmate. Yeah. I mean, that's really useful. Which, who is running around there handing this shit out to peasants, but... Well, clearly his mom has an interesting backstory that we never find out. Back in the ice cave, Emma is super dying... And Elsa's like, oh, if only I could magically make clothing. <laughs> or put on the hat. Or set, buy, just use, like, matches I have in my pocket. Look, I know it's a 
TV show, but it amazes me that Emma doesn't actually suffer any frostbite or anything. It's true. Like, as soon as she warms up, she's fine. So, really quick, I have to admit, like, not realizing that Bo Peep is in the world of Scorybrooke, seeing her as a butcher, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense, because shepherds, they're raising sheep for what? Besides wool, mutton. Uh-huh. Well, that makes sense now. So, eh. It's still kind of little things like, oh, okay. Yep. yep, yep. In fact, in the real world, Little Bo Peep is a butcher, and she is butchering a lamb when David walks in. David, who she calls Lambkins when he walks in, just in case the threat wasn't clear. He's like, I know you know where Anna is because you made her one of your sheeple, so tell me where Anna is or we're going to beat you up. Yeah, and then that's what they do. They beat up a woman... In her butcher shop. In her butcher shop. So, so that they can steal her crook, so that they can use it to find Anna. Which, I mean, they're the good guys, and she's an evil warlord who uses magic to control people. But also, in this world, David's a cop, and I feel like he shouldn't go into ladies' shops and beat them up until they do what he wants. Okay, but you know how... uh, I have to explain how David became a cop here, because that was not his storybook personality. See... Emma became the sheriff through an election. She okay. she killed the old sheriff with her vagina of doom, and then uh, there was an election, and she became the new sheriff. Right. During the second season, she fell through a magical hat, and she was gone, and David took over her sheriffing duties, because apparently when the sheriff is missing, then the sheriff's dad becomes the new sheriff. So it's a, like a hereditary heir, heir thing. I got it. Apparently. And then she came back and just no one stopped him from being a cop, so I guess he's still a cop. Well, to be fair, Graham... Remember Graham? To be fair, Graham had deputized Emma, so I suppose at some point she probably deputized David. Yeah, because yeah. especially these the sheriff's jurisdiction, instead of like a, a natural policing thing, kind of like how Multnomah County Sheriff's work here in Portland, as well as having Portland having a police department. Oh, mm. oh, oh. I'm sorry, you're assuming that there's a lot more organization it's to act- the civic life of Storybrooke than there actually is. Well, I mean, look, they, they're, they're power plant, they, there's no engineers there, it's just, like, it's just empty, no, no, okay, that's a, there's a power outage, nobody's like going, hey, maybe we should go check out our job to see if we can fix something. Like, listen, I'm so much more qualified to design Storybrooke just because I played Sims as a child. Yeah. Like, it- well, okay, this is another thing where, it's not just Storybrooke. It's a thing with Maine in this show, where whenever there is an abandoned child, Maine's Child Protective Services sends them to Boston, which I'm sure you're aware of this as someone from Maine. Boston is not in Maine. It used to be part of Maine. Like, Massachusetts used to own part of Maine. Then Missouri compromised, because, you know, Missouri wanted to have slaves. But that was a couple years ago. Yeah, just a couple years years ago. Like, two years before Enchanted uh, Enchanted Forest level. Okay, I got it. But still, it's like every... Like, Boston is the big city that they keep going to, which also means that all of the Boston municipal services seem to service them, and that would not be how that would yeah, work. Just just use the main ones. Maine has its own child protective services. You would think. Well, you know. Hopefully. It's either that or being raised by moose. That's, how, that's what I remember. So David goes to confront little Bo Peep and her... What are those things called? Goons? Hired goons. That's what we're going <laughs> to call them now. Oh, you mean, you mean in her war tent, though, that she set up? Yeah, I, oh. I was thinking her... War gazebo? It is a gazebo. It is a gazebo. I'm sorry. She is in a gazebo. I was thinking it was in a traveling tent, but now that the camera has backed up, I see it is in fact it's, a, yeah, a it's got a stru- structure. Yeah, it's got a foundation and all that. Now she, But now, it's right on the edge of David's land. Did she build that so that she would have a place to sit and taunt him? I, 
Okay, we should talk about her henchmen. <laughs> her hired goons. Yeah, we should talk about her hired goons because for some reason they're redcoats. Yeah, why not? So David murders her two hired goons because apparently he got really good at sword fighting from having Anna kick his ass for an hour or so. Yeah. But you're right, they're wearing tricornered hats and redcoats. They are redcoats. And she also and she has her tiny little red tricorner hat, like she's doing some sort of redcoat burlesque. So David murders the two guys. Oh, we he just lost his murder virginity. There you go. Are so, you sure? I think he just kinda of downloaded the the sword fighting thing from the Matrix and now she's fighting fighting a Bo Peep and she's like, I know Kung Fu. Show me. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. I mean, it's the only thing that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm sorry. You have a magical crook that can mystically enslave people. Why are you bothering with the sword fighting stuff? Especially when he, like, does the little twirly move and beats her. He wins the sword fight with little Bo Peep. Okay, I, well, I, I, that feel, was... I feel weird for saying this sentence, but he shouldn't be beating little Bo Peep. Like, I was getting on his case, or I was getting on Anna's case earlier because, you know, David was obviously outgunned, but this was ridiculously easy. It's hard to believe that no one has done this before. Yeah. Um, okay, can I just say, it gets really fetishy up in here. Because he ties her up with ribbons. Yeah, he ties her up with ribbons. He incredibly easily beats her and then ties her up with ribbon. Yep. Then he takes the crook and realizes that Anna is, like, in his barn. Like... Less than 100 feet away. Yeah. I like the fact that I just noticed the uh, the symbol is actually a sheep thing. I don't know why that strikes me as fascinating. It's looks... compared to just being a picture of Anna or whatever. She, it could be just generic sheep. It could have been somebody else in that barn. I mean. I think as long as you're thinking about Anna, it brings you to Anna. But yeah, I do like when you look through the crook, the little graphic that shows you where the person is is like a little gradient colored sheep. My question is, how did she capture and brand Anna if like Anna was kicking David's ass how come Anna just didn't kick their asses? It's like the rock, paper, scissors. I think I actually sent the hired goons to get Anna. Anna's weak against hired goons. Ooh. Uh, David is strong against goons. And apparently also Bo Peep. I get but, maybe, well. but maybe he was weak against female warlords until Anna trained him. There you go. Although I like to think that Anna let them take her. To teach David a moral lesson. Yes, because also because when David walks into the barn, she like jumps him. She clearly was about to escape herself because she was like, "Oh my god, this guy's not going to learn anything." I can save myself, and this is gonna. I don't know. Have Have y'all seen Thumbelina? I have not. The Don Bluth one. Yeah. Like when I was a child. Okay, there's a running thing. I mostly know it. Remember it through Lindsay Ellis's video about it. But there's a running thing about it where she talks about how every every situation she's trapped in is impossible. Like, it's impossible for me to get off this lily pad. It's impossible for me to find my way home. This is a thing here, too, where David's talking about it like it's impossible. And Anna's like, you have to fight when it's impossible. Impossible. And then he's like, it was impossible, but I did it. You keep using that word. I do not think you know what it means. So, impossible pretty easy anyway david's proved his worth to anna by beating up the very easily beaten goons and by doing so he has completely changed his character he is now a person who will always find you if you is snow and he will also fight against all odds which is also a thing we've seen david do in this show so now we have david's origin story which is that his personality and fighting skills were given to him by anna Barendel in order to fight little bo peep neat awesome anyway back in the present he's he, he returns with the crook and is like, we didn't find your sister, but, but we, we found a stick. 
Yeah, basically. And Elsa's like, yeah, that's good, but it turns out I actually can't break down the wall. And also, Emma's like dead, so sorry. It isn't in this episode, but Elsa, the there is a not small amount of queer subtext with Elsa that's going to start kicking in soon. Well, that, I just want to bring it up before it starts. And that is also in Frozen, as we mentioned last week. Right. Uh, there's a lot of queer subtext with, with Elsa. And there is no prince for Elsa. There is one for Anna. But David manages to talk Elsa out of freaking out. He quotes some crap Anna said about, you can't just survive, you have to live. And Elsa's like, oh, I guess I'm over my issues now. Yeah, once again, David has yelled at a woman until she's overcome her mental blocks. It is the weirdest superpower I've ever heard of. There's a, yeah, my favorite scene with this is where he yells at uh, Little Red Riding Hood until she stops being a werewolf. Well, it's super effective. Yeah. So what, is Elsa's now going to tear down the wall like a Ronald Reagan Gorbachev style? Oh, yes. yeah. Nice. Actually, if, if any if anyone is Ronald Reagan in this scenario, it's David, because he's the one who's all like, Ms. Arendelle, <laughs> tear down this wall. There you go. I assume her last name is Arendelle since she's Elsa of Arendelle. Yeah, of is her middle name. <laughs> yes. So she uses the power of dramatic pointing to make a hole in the wall. And it works. There's this weird moment where David and Hook are like, I see Emma, and they're like reaching for her, but nobody's really doing anything to help get her out. Yeah, not like climbing through or asking Elsa just to bring her over, you know, make her car- make her carry out Emma. Emma's kind of heavy. What can I Ooh. say? Those guys are lazy. It's like, eh, we could go drag her out. Elsa, you bring her over. Come on, <laughs> incredibly thin woman. You can pick up the, you know, bounty hunter. Yeah, there we go. Which is funny because this is probably something you didn't get through osmosis about Frozen, but Anna is actually super strong. So Anna could have pulled her through no problem. Right. But it's Elsa, so it's like, okay. So it's a little harder. So David has more of his... He he keeps giving Elsa this pep talk where Elsa's feeling bad because she accidentally almost murdered Emma. Oops. Which, eh. So many people accidentally almost murder Emma. Don't even worry about it, Elsa. And uh, David reassures her that they're going to find Anna, or at very least her smoldering corpse. Ow. Hey, back in Mary Margaret's plot, I totally forgot Mary Margaret had a plot, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Mainly yeah. we learned that she can't read Japanese. Yeah, because for some reason the only instructions they have for the generator are Japanese, which I, I like to think that's something Regina threw in when she was helping Mary Margaret create the, the yeah. uh, curse, because fuck Mary Margaret. It feels like a weird joke, though, because that feels like a joke from the 80s. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And also, maybe a little racist? It's well, weird. It is the 80s. So. And also, like, this line here, like, hungry. Was Mary Margaret thinking about breastfeeding makes her think, you know what needs to be breastfed? This power plant. It's true. Neil is busting and she's like, you need to be fed. Oh, wait, generators need fuel. That was ridiculously easy. Also, Neil immediately stops crying as soon as she realizes, oh, Power plants also need to be fed. Neil immediately stops crying. Well, that's because Neil is high on gas fumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. this might not be the best place to bring a baby. Yeah, but... Actually, this place may be OSHA compliant, but are we 100% sure? I right? Lo- I love baby Neil because the, the like baby they've got is like, get me out of here, help me. <laughs> also, I have to say, considering how much they complain about not being able to read the manual, those switches and buttons look incredibly self-explanatory. Like... I wasn't there, so maybe I shouldn't be all like, oh, I could have done it. But it looks really easy to use. Which is what you want in, a, in an emergency generator, which I just realized that was. I was thinking that was actually the town's, like, power grid. 
and I was wondering how turning on fuel would make it work when the town's grid is gone from the ice cutting through it. But I realize now it's a generator. It's a backup generator. Right. It's just like in Jurassic Park when uh, Samuel L. Jackson has to tell uh, what's it, Laura Dern how to start up the... They actually have to do it manually. Right. There's little things. Well, you have a manual. There's little things. You may not know you have to prime the pump three times. So I'll let that one slide a little. What I like about this is that we were a grumpy yeah. isn't there helping out even though the last time there was a blackout in storybrook it was directly his fault and he said that he knew how to undo it yeah. that's true and at the time when that happened we were like hey remember three seasons from now when he's going to be totally useless there you go i think he just he just likes to complain that's his deal that's he's his grumpy. brand exactly anyway they're trying to warm emma up back at the apartment and hook knows what a space heater is more importantly, Henry definitely knows that Emma loves hot cocoa with cinnamon. She is very, very high-end. Uh, no, that's a running thing in this show where everyone in their family has this weird giant boner for hot chocolate with cinnamon in it. Oh, okay. So they, they're not like weird foodies. No. no. Oh, they could be, but... It's just a running thing. We've discovered also the best way to have hot chocolate uh, is with cinnamon, specifically yeah. cinnamon whiskey. Yes. Unless you're allergic to cinnamon, like my friend Sean was, discovering that when his hands started ballooning up, it's like, what's going on? Oh, oh no! God. Wait, yeah. but is there actually cinnamon in cinnamon whiskey? Yeah. Oh, I, I just oh. thought it was it's like, like yeah. we had, he had fireball. He had fireball. He had a shot of fireball, and he's like, something's weird. We noticed his hands getting red and kind of puffy, and we're like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, that's so scary because if you're drinking fireball, you're not surrounded by people who are thinking straight. Yeah. Go <laughs> ahead of time. It's like maybe. Skip the cinnamon whiskey uh, drinks. There you yeah, go. Yeah, well, everybody should test if they're allergic for, to cinnamon before they try Fireball, because Fireball will fuck you up in addition to being allergic to it. Mm. Yeah. There you go. I've made lots of crazy decisions while on Fireball whiskey. Mm. I've made a lot of poor decisions on tequila. Uh, tequila. Tequila is nobody's friend. That is that is an accurate statement. I always think about that show, Tequila and Benetti. Yeah. The talking dog cop show, for those of you who aren't in the know. I am not in the know. I'll have to do next episode. I, 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 I guess I know now. <laughs> so, uh, back in the Enchanted Forest, Anna's getting supplies from Charming's mom. Get sandwiches. Yeah. Because she loves sandwiches because that's a thing from Frozen that they feel the need to acknowledge. Because, you know, only only <laughs> people from Disney, Disney animated movies love sandwiches. So... As Anna's getting her sandwiches from Charming's mom, she's like, hey, is there anybody who, like, knows stuff about magic? Maybe some, like, super powerful magic guys around? Maybe somebody that sometimes transforms into animals that kill other people? <laughs> okay, I, I have to, we have to clarify for you, unfortunately. He, he does not actually turn into a crocodile. He doesn't Aww. transform into a crocodile. That's just what Hook calls him because of his scaly skin, which is, like, gross and ableist. Honestly. And also the worst nickname ever, and they won't let it die. But David's mom's like, yeah, I sold a baby to a magic guy once. Maybe you should look him up. There you go. So, yeah, she uh, doesn't like mentioning. She doesn't like saying the name, which is fair because saying the name, like, summons him, which is something you said before. And I told you that the name didn't summon him. He was just sitting in the room like Tony Wonder waiting for someone to say his name. But it turns out that it does summon him, as we'll see in a few seconds. Interesting. So it's kind of like a... Rumpelstiltskin is like gets a little Beetlejuice action going. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. That's all right. And right. it makes sense for magical character. Yeah. It, yeah. That when you hear your name, like it, it draws your attention. Right. Names are yeah. Voldemort. 
So, David gives Anna his dad's drunk driving horse. Which, I'm like, he's a shepherd who has, like, nothing except this one horse, and Anna is a princess, so maybe don't take his horse even if he offers it. Just saying. At least Trey does, like, maybe I'll get you a dog or something. (laughs) Or, like, I'm sure she has a piece of jewelry that's not the snowflake necklace that's on her body that's worth way more than the horse that she could, like, give him. Like that ridiculous hat. (laughs) Yeah! You don't need that type of hat in this warm climate. And the hat has fur on it, so it is, in fact, worth something in fake medieval times. Yeah. Anyway, she says the name Rumpelstiltskin out loud after David's mother writes it down for her, and then we see him seeing her through a crystal ball because... That's, that's what show we're watching. Yeah. Mm. All right, so this next scene, they're trying to use Little Bo Peep's magical shepherd's crook to find Anna. And this is the part where the sound mixing department super fucked up. They take a break. It's like, we're on, we're union. We don't have to deal with this. No, because everybody on screen is like, what's that sound? There's no sound except the super loud background music. The captions tell us that we're supposed to be hearing a heartbeat, but guys, I don't hear anything. Yeah. Yeah. They'll fix it in post. That's what they're thinking. It's like, yeah, we got it. Oh, man. Like, nobody left a note for the sound department to put in the sound of a heartbeat. So, Mary Margaret comes in and she's like, who the fuck is this? And Stan- She says it, like, weirdly suspiciously, as though new princesses don't show up at her house all the time, which they absolutely do. Well, remember, the last person she let into her house was the Wicked Witch of the West pretending to be a nanny. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, because she was trying to steal their baby. Yeah. Okay. Also, Mary Margaret has no good people judgment because the Wicked Witch of the West came into her house dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West and talking about how delicious her baby looked. And she's like, oh, you'll be a great nanny. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. Your baby's so cute. I just want to eat her up. Type of thing. <laughs> Possibly could be misconstrued, but realistically. Especially if you grew up in fairy tale land. Exactly. Meanwhile, uh, David's horrible speech about how this family always finds each other, blah, blah, arc words, has inspired Henry to continue being the good son he has been the past couple of seasons. Yeah, he goes to the mayoral mansion, which, by the way, if Snow has to be the mayor now, uh, they should be living in, especially since they have, like, ten people in the loft, and Regina is all by herself in the mansion. Just saying. so this is mayoral's? I thought this is just Regina's house. Well, I mean, it is, but it's all, but it was her house. It was referred to as the mayoral mansion in the first season, and then she was the mayor. So, meanwhile, like, ten people are living in Mary Margaret's loft. Yeah, the, fr- the friend's set. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway, Henry bangs on the door and is like, I'm not going to go away because I love you, and I'm not going to let you be Elsa alone in your frozen castle. And then she opens the door because it's beautiful. And oh. she hugs him. And there's sort of a nice pan It's not pan out. It's a zoom out shot. It's That's- a crane shot. It's a crane out. It's pretty nice. So... Emma and Elsa are at the edge of the town, and Emma's fangirling out over Elsa. She's like, your magic's so unique and pretty, and you're the only one who can do it. Okay. I think... Okay. Yes, not only does she tell Elsa that she's the only one who can do it, but the thought seems to be that because she put up this giant wall of ice, she can definitely take it down, despite the plot of this entire episode, which is that she can't control her magic. Yeah, And, and also the plot of the whole movie Frozen, which is that she can't control her magic. And this is explicitly a sequel to the movie Frozen. Like, let's be clear about this. Okay. Within the context of the show. I'm assuming none of this will be brought up in Frozen 2. What? So, 
Elsa doesn't understand why she can't take down the wall. She's like, I don't understand. I'm the only one who can do magic like this. Which, of course, smash cut to uh, the ice cream shop where a surprisingly happy Grumpy is talking to the ice cream shop owner about how she's lucky she didn't lose her stock. Yep. Oh, by the way, the... uh... The ice cream shop is called Any Given Sunday. I just okay. need to point that out. I just out. noticed that. That's that. Uh, anything where you can make a reference to an Oliver Stone movie about football? Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty punny show, and so... It's Bob's Burgers-esque. The flower shop in this town is called Game of Thorns. Oh, my God. Well, you know. But, uh, the queen this name, like, waves him off. I'm sorry. Whoever this woman <laughs> is... This mystery blonde woman that has ice powers. Waves off Grumpy and then uses her ice magic to refill the ice cream. And then just, like, randomly freezes the wall behind her in case you missed that. Yeah. Also, okay. she takes a taste of the ice cream which, with her finger, which is gross. That's gross. She's so lucky Regina didn't create a health department in Storybrooke. Yeah, where's Hugo Habercourt when you need him? <laughs> so I just want to establish this now. This is the first time we see her. I love the actress. I love the character. She Her motivations make no goddamn sense. She's kind of like one of the worst villains the show has in terms of clear motivation and that's saying something, but I love this actress so much. So this actress is also continuing a theme from last season, which is having actresses from Lost play the villain of the of the season. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's nice. Maybe if I've seen Lost, I would understand this and it would make more sense. But... It's just a nice little thing. Okay. That, that there's a lot of cast on the show that it was also in Lost, but it's just funny. that. So her deal is that she is the Snow Queen from the Hans Christian Andersen story, the Snow Queen. And she's pissed that Frozen has overtaken the Snow Queen story in popular culture. The plot of this season is that the Snow Queen story is going to fight Frozen. For cultural revel- relevance. Well, I mean, that's the... That's, that's the subtext, but... I mean, the text is that it's, like, for family or something, but yeah. There's a lot to wrap my head around. This is like, okay. So, there's a really strong meta-narrative running through. Yeah, that's what I'm really getting, is that there's there's a lot of things, like they, like you said, there's the fact they kind of know that there's story, there's, like, fairy tale characters. Now... They definitely know they're fairy tale characters. Okay. Do they know the story of the fairy tale characters? That is such an interesting question. Because... They do. There is literally a book of fairy tales that they read from in this that has their pasts in them. What's what's weird about this show is that they know the stories that are in the storybook, which are straight out, like, exactly what happened in their lives. They're also sometimes familiar with, like, the Disney cartoon versions. And at one point when they um, are talking about Pinocchio, they, like, comment that everyone knows the Pinocchio story. So, like, other stuff seems to have, like, filtered through... Like, real, actual, or pop culture in that world does exist with a sense that those things do happen. Like, Pinocchio. Well, they could go to Disneyland, theoretically. Yeah. If they could leave the town, they could if go they to could Disneyland. Disney. So, okay. And the thing Although is they're like, on the East Coast, so they probably go to Disney World. world right. And the thing is that a big part of the show is that things happen in cycles, like with Thor. Right. So... They're not the first Snow White and Prince Charming. Like, this has all happened before. It happens to other people. Then their stories end in a new version of the story like begins. Briar Rose is Aurora's mother. Got it. Okay. So, Which is really an unlucky family that they both keep falling under a hundred year long sleeping curses. So did this change your view of Once Upon a Time or cement it? It's, uh... I didn't think it's possible for me to still come out of this as confused. It's, like... I've just taken a further step into the fog that is uh, Once Upon a Time. 
it's intriguing and i totally understand why people can really dig it because there's a lot of stuff going in but it's one of those things where it's like i really feel like i have to start from the beginning because there is so much going on like this is a season four episode two show yeah you have to explain a lot of stuff to me and even though i've seen a couple episodes before like apparently an episode or two that happens after this i'm still like who are these people it's like people i totally understand like that tried watching game of thrones first season and to just kind of jump in i kind of learned the way to, i watched game of thrones i saw the first t- season watch it through entirely then watch it again because by the second time the name starts sticking and i think this is one of those shows that will do the same oh thing. yeah you kind of have to i mean i i read the i, I read song of ice and fire mm-hmm. so i i mean i don't and i was thinking as i was watching it i don't know how i would follow this if i hadn't read the books if i didn't already know who all these people were right so especially because like a lot of a lot of same looking generic white boys on that show. A lot of honkies in this. I can totally see the people that that came in from the ground floor. And if you're willing to put the time and effort, then this can be rewarding. But I gotta admit, I'm all. I mean, I'm fully except I'm behind on all the shows I I actually do like watching. So you're not gonna go home and binge watch all of Once Upon a Time because it's all on Netflix. It's it's fine. It's an acquired taste. It's like there's a musical episode in the last season. Oh my god, it, it's the worst musical episode I've ever seen. I mean, it's so bad. I kind of do. Another part of me goes because uh, uh, like just give an example. My sister's still giving me grief that I haven't caught up on The Walking Dead, a show that I watched that I also do hate. <laughs> It's like it's like and at this point it's just watching it for the sake of completion. Oh, see, I can't do Walking Dead because I can't watch like that much unrelenting horror stuff. Yeah, it's like just I just got kind of bored with it. Like I made it to the prison season, and then I'm like, oh my god, it's the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. But no, this one's like I'll give credit. They're definitely trying stuff, and I I'm for me I'm totally fascinated with the overarching Disney aspect of it, like the thing they're pulling from other fairy tales and not just uh, general fairy tales but specifically now disney specific and now that disney has bought fox are we gonna see like what can they br- what can they bring into this now unfortunately i really feel like the current season of once upon a time is gonna be the last season so we're not gonna get to see that come to fruition which, sadly which is unfortunate because it, the last season is sort of a soft reboot the okay. most recent season and it's basically the big bad is gentrification and a worthwhile takes, villain. And What's it takes the, place in Seattle. It it it's a which has a name nicknamed Emerald City. So it's like, oh my god. Yeah, it all yeah. it works on so many levels, except for the ones where it doesn't. Oh uh, yeah, it's like seventy percent. We finally got around to watching the new season, and it, we're a few episodes deep, and it's apparently like ninety percent really really long speeches. Yeah, like we couldn't get through it, and I kind of think what we should do is not watch it, not try to watch it. Until we get to it in the podcast, and then we'll just be doing it for the first time. Ooh. Do it. it. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, like, what, five years from now? We'll we'll watch it in five years, guys. Those of you who are asking for opinions on us on it, you can find out in, like, five years. So, um... We... I, I don't think we're really going to do a Fashion Corner this week because there are no notable outfits, in my opinion. I actually have something for Fashion Corner. It's really short. Red coats, tricorder hats, what the fuck? That, yeah... Yeah. Concise. There you go. It's bringing it back. And also, this season, we're pointing out all of the really awkward frozen stuff that they, like, shoehorn in. Cold never bothered me anyway. Sandwiches. Ugh. All right. So I guess that's it for now. Yeah. We we have been recording for a bit. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find us and find the show. 
if you want to comment on this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I love television zines. We can also be contacted at I love television zines at gmail.com or tweet at us at I love TV zines. If you would like to listen to past episodes or donate to our Patreon, you can do so at our website, I love television zines.com. So uh, once again, thank you, John, for being on this episode. The I've, pleasure was mine. I've been Max. And I'm Tina. And until next time, this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Smile.